Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Rolling. Take one. Is it going to be all right? Hello and welcome to All Through a Lens. This is the podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric. Welcome, won't you, to the final episode of the season. While we're taking a little break, we'll still have lots and lots of content for you. There will be dev parties, updates from the road, and a few special surprises along the way. But today, today we'll be checking back in with Kate Miller-Wilson. What has she been up to for the past year? We'll find out. And we'll also be talking to you about photographer Anne Brigman. Fortunately for everyone, Kate will be sticking around to help us out. Not only that, but we've got the film detectives, Charlie and Sarah, who will be popping in with another case to solve. There's also zine reviews, the answering machine, and so much more. But first, Vanya. Uh, hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Oh, I'm just fantastic. You, you sound fantastic. Yeah, I'm very excited about our sabbatical, I guess. I, I, I guess so. We have a little bit more to do before that. What have you been up yes. to? Uh, well, uh... I mentioned that I was going up north to do train days, which I did. I wanted to take portraits, wet plate portraits, actually, and that just did not work out. Um, you can hear a little bit more about that failure on Dev Party. Yeah, a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was great. Uh, it was a very interesting short mini vacation that kind of had a lot of twists and turns, uh, a lot of family that I wasn't really planning on seeing, uh, waterfalls, free camping, photography, awesome towns, and fucking trains. <laughs> oh, also, like, the most amazing library I've ever seen in my life. I'm, like, so inspired by it. I'm Ooh. just like, oh, my gosh. What so, kind of library was that? It was a hobo library. <laughs> okay. Uh, a traveling library or a library for hobos? It's a library for hobos, I would okay. say. So tons of hobo zines, uh, things about like just travel journals, tr train magazine, anything and everything trains was in this boxcar. It was fantastic. That sounds awesome. Oh God, it was so amazing. Uh, it was, so they kind of had this like art show set up. They had a moniker show. They had bands playing. It was a ton of fun. Um, I mostly kept to myself. Unfortunately, the library, I think all the couches that are, that usually live in the boxcar were outside. So, uh, that was unfortunate because I probably would have just grabbed a stack and sat there the whole weekend. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I had a great time. I will definitely be back next year and I will be a little bit better prepared, uh, <laughs> not making those same mistakes that I did this time, but, uh, it was a very solo trip for me. Um, usually I like to meet up with someone, um, and this time around, uh, I didn't have anybody to meet up with. I was just by myself. I slept in a lot, <laughs> which is uh, 
it was weird. It, it, it felt so necessary for me to do that. Um, I was just, I didn't have any plans. I kind of was just going with whatever the day, <laughs> how it looked and what, what I wanted to do at that very moment. And I can't remember the last time I've actually been able to do that ever. So like have a real vacation <laughs> on your vacation. Yeah. 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 It was, uh, it was great. I had such a good time. It was what I needed. Yeah. So I look, I look forward to a little bit more of that. I'm hoping I ended up taking my dad up to see my sister. She lives in the middle of California. She lives in Clear Lake. I drove with my dad and that night I like woke up because I always wake up at two o'clock in the morning for some reason. And I was like, holy shit, this is the first time I spent all day with my dad by myself. Divorced family. I just didn't really have that like relationship. It was like really, really special. It, I had a moment and I'm so thankful that I had that. He's 82, uh, but he is really healthy. I mean, incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of amazing how well he's doing. Uh, so I'm very thankful for that. And I'm glad I have a little bit more time because he's a lot of fun. We, we sang Spanish and Italian songs and <laughs> I put some oldies on that, you know, he's like, Oh, I remember when this came out, you know, cause he was born like in like 37 or something, 1937. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, He's like, you listen to this stuff? And I'm like, yeah, I listen to everything. But <laughs> it was really fun to kind of curate uh, a good playlist for the for the road trip. I think he appreciated that. Nice. nice. just to hear him kind of bust out <laughs> some <laughs> lyrics, you know, randomly from really, really old songs. It was... <laughs> It was very sweet. So yeah, I had a good time. I got a ton of stuff to develop. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Taking a, a long trip with your dad is, is it's got to be strange, right? Oh, gosh, yeah. So my dad is from Italy. His third language is English. And he speaks it fairly well. I can understand everything he says. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually told me he's... <laughs> I didn't really realize, like, I knew that it was probable that I spoke Spanish or I heard Spanish as a child. Uh, but the first two years of my life, uh, they only spoke Spanish to me and I would answer in Spanish as a baby. So oh. it's really interesting how shitty I am at Spanish now, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you would say that it would be weird to hang out with your dad, but... yeah. I kind of, this sounds so weird, but like one of my best friends is like, is Mike, my shaper. And he's like in his sixties. It's true. I adore him. He's like my favorite person. He's smart. He has good stories, uh, jokes that I don't sometimes get, uh, (laughs) words of wisdom for me. I, I don't know. I get, I get a little bit more out of those types of relationships, I guess. I think that I look up to them in a lot of ways and I respect the time that they've they've experienced, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If you want to give me your dad's number, I mean, <laughs> I'd be more than willing to go. He's like a works at a machine shop, right? He I'm did. super yeah, down. Let's, this year. Oh, I will ask him and he will take me because that's what dads do. <laughs> he will take you where? We're taking my dad. I want to learn. You want to learn how to work a CNC machine? Hell yeah. Okay. 
All right. <laughs> um, he would be more than willing to teach. And that goes for like literally anybody listening. He would love to teach anybody uh, how to run that's, one. <laughs> that's the thing about the older generation for the most part. They were passed down these trades. They were taught with their hands. They didn't really go to school for most of these things. Yeah, like I didn't go to and, school for that. And the knowledge is like, is so important and it's sad because we're going to lose all of that all those little tips and tricks that they've learned from like 30 40 50 years of like working in these trades are just going to be gone and that's so sad well i don't know there's still a lot of people working them and you know a lot of the tips and tricks they know are, are kind of obsolete now And we know, well, I mean, we being the younger generation, we're not really young. (laughs) So we have tips and tricks that we can pass on. Like what what happens if like a Gen Z kid, what if if their cassette tape gets all like spit out by the player? They don't know enough to put the pencil in there. Yeah, number two pencil. (laughs) Yeah, so we're important, right? I guess. Yeah. I've heard Real the Real is coming back. So God, I hope not. I hated, oh, it is. Oh, I hated real to real. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say about my weekend. I think it was pretty. That was long enough. I'm looking at your notes for what you did, and you have like a fucking novel here. So let's get to it and tell us, tell us all that you did this weekend. Well, I just want to tell. I want to tell a little story. Okay. Because I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy with this past weekend where I did my first overnight hike of Ooh. the year, and it's been really mm. rainy and shitty, and so it was really rainy and shitty then. But I okay, still did so it. can we just maybe like cue some like crackling fire or something? I feel oh, I like didn't have I a fire. I didn't. No, it was. No, like just the noise of it. So when the story's playing, like there's oh, like, like I'm a crackling telling it around the campfire. Yes, yes, oh, yes, well. yes. I'll see if I can Please. put some in right here. Cool. So rather than lug along a bunch of cameras, I decided to just take the 4x5, a tripod, three Graphmatic backs, and I also brought some extra sheets to reload at camp, 4x5 sheets. There were uh, three abandoned houses that I wanted to photograph, the farthest being six miles from the trailhead. So with my full pack, which is a sleeping bag, a sleeping pad, a tent, some extra clothes, you know, just in case, water, food, and all that, I started off. My plan was to shoot six shots at each house, each of the three houses, and then six shots of the landscape. I was pretty well successful in that. Kind of kind of did that okay. It was supposed to have a short light rain on the first evening, maybe around five or six, and it was supposed to be kind of cloudy the second day. So I figured this would all just sort of work out. You know, I can deal with a little bit of a sprinkle here and there. I'd be in the tent um, before it rained too hard if it was going to rain at night. And and the walk out the next morning would be easy since there's going to be no sun. It was perfect. So when I reached the first house, I spent about 15 minutes re-exploring it because I'd been there before to see what I wanted to shoot, which six scenes would capture the essence of that, that place. After the second shot, it began to rain. So I quickly took the third shot and then the wind blew the camera over. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, thankfully, it fell on soft grass, which is amazing since the place is just strewn with rocks and boulders. Uh, it was fine, but I was in danger of it getting soaked and of me getting soaked. And while I had extra clothes, I didn't have enough to fully reclothe me entirely. 
I grab my things and scrambling into the relatively stable kitchen area of an incredibly unstable falling down house, I just sort of weathered the storm. The wind blew for about an hour and it kind of rained sideways. Uh, it wasn't a heavy rain, but it was like kind of the big drops, you know? There was no thunder or lightning or anything like that. It was just a spring storm, but it was one I really wasn't ready for. I carry rain gear and so I put my jacket on but I forgot the rain cover for my pack. And so that had to stay in the house until it cleared. I wasn't sure what to do. If it rained like this for a few more hours, I wouldn't make it to where I wanted to camp before dark. And if I camped here, I wouldn't make it to the third house the next day. And also it really wasn't a good place to camp. But fortunately the rain stopped after about two hours. I took my remaining three photos, packed up my gear and walked another two miles to my camp, which is on this hill that overlooked a valley strewn with gigantic basalt boulders and, and also the second house, which I would hit the next day. So as soon as I set up camp, I mean like the minute I got my tent up, it started to rain again, but I still, I, I fell asleep to the sound of raindrops on the tent, which is just so, it just makes you so drowsy. I, if I could get, if I could get a sound to like play while I'm sleeping, it would be raindrop, like lightly falling on tent. That would make you um, wet the bed? I don't know, I should try it. Fingers yeah. crossed. So the, the next morning with the sunrise, I woke up and I left my tent and sleeping gear behind. So I only took the camera and the film and some food and water. It lightened my load for like the, the four mile round trip to the third house, which I planned on I planned hitting the second house on the way back. So the hike to the third house, which was near the Columbia River is a drop of 700 feet. Uh, in about a mile. Uh, wow. Going, yeah, going down was easy. And the third house, when I got there, it was it was weird. It was the first time I'd ever been there. It's outside walls were covered in concrete. I posted a photo of it, um, which would probably be about a week ago, if you're listening to this when this is released. And it helped that, that concrete on the walls I hadn't seen outside of New Mexico. And it really helped preserve it. But the roof was falling and the inside was incredibly trashed. There was a, a clothes dryer in the middle of the main room with a bunch of junk everywhere and half a snowmobile in another. Why not? I spent about an hour there as the sun periodically just peeked its way through the clouds. And on the way back up the hill, the clouds separated and the sky was just half cloudy, half blue. And it would remain that way for the rest of the day. Big, dumb, puffy clouds. I loved it. Hmm. On the way back, I started shooting the landscape shots, but only took one before reaching the second house. And I had been there before and the roof and the floor, they'd caved in much worse than it was, uh, much worse than the last time I was there. But there was still enough room that I could walk around. I'm not exactly tall. I was careful though. Uh, I spent enough time here to take the six photos, maybe 45 minutes, and I hiked the quarter mile to my tent. I was already tired, I had done four miles and I laid down for a little bit, not a nap, but I knew I had about four miles left to walk, all at a slight incline, about 400 feet over four miles. Not a huge, not a huge big deal, but still grueling for me. Um, I packed up the sleeping bag, the pad and the tent and repacked the camera gear, secured everything in the pack, gave one last look to that wonderful sprawling valley and began my, my walk back. I made it maybe an eighth of a mile when my eye caught the hill that was, it was behind my tent, but I didn't really get a good view of it while I was in the tent. 
it was this beautiful scene with wildflowers below it and a basalt boulder there for accent and trees atop a, a sharp hill, which gave way to cliffs. It was like a, a true panorama, right? So you've, we've all been this, we've all packed up and they're kind of like ready to not take photos. And we find a photo, we find a picture to take. And it's just like, it's good on one, on one hand because we're gonna take a picture. And it's just like, oh fuck, <laughs> I gotta unpack all this shit. With a bit of resignation, I unbuckled my pack, I laid it on the ground, and I began unpacking what I had packed not just like, like not five minutes before. It took longer to set up the camera, but when I looked through my 35 millimeter lens, I realized that I just couldn't capture the scene I wanted to. My lens wasn't wide enough. And then I remembered I shoot triptych panoramas. I always Ooh. forget about this, always. I never plan on shooting them. And like, and it's always like, oh my God, what do I do? Like, oh, wait a minute, I have an answer for this. So this involves shooting three vertical photos to form a long panoramic shot. I could do four too, if you really want to get crazy. Each photo can, or really should be able to stand on its own as a photo, but all together, all three of them together, they're, they're the image. And this worked out perfectly, at, at, least, at least at the time. I haven't developed it yet, so I don't really know. Uh, I did have to reshoot one of them because I forgot to adjust the aperture. Did you notice that? You noticed that right away, though. I noticed it the second I pulled the shutter, <laughs> which is always how it happens. My mm -hmm. last photo in that that I took for the whole day was a close-up of a flower that I'd never seen before there, and I don't know how I'd missed it, but it looked similar to a lotus, but it was attached to what looked like a small bit of moss crossed with an evergreen. I don't know. I, I'd seen the plant before, but never the flowers, which are kind of like almost seaweedy slash lotus. It's, it's really bizarre. So I made it back to the car and I was really exhausted. I did 12 miles for the first day and ate the last. It's not a lot of miles for a seasoned hiker or even somebody who sort of walks around at work a little bit. But while I enjoy hiking, I'm not really in what's known as trail shape. I'm very trail out of shape, I guess. Uh, I've been visiting this place for over three years now and I wanna do something with it. It's 35 or so square miles of public land and it's almost exclusively used for hunting. So when it's not hunting season, which is a good chunk of the year, the place is basically empty. I was the only person there this weekend, this past weekend, but there is just, there's just so much, it's 35 square miles, it's huge. Getting around the place is, is really difficult. There's one road in and that kind of runs through the whole thing, but you, you can't drive and there's no motor vehicles allowed, not even electric bikes. So I've considered buying myself again, a bike, and uh, it's specifically to shoot this place, but that still leaves like a lot of land unreachable except by foot. And I think that's probably what I'll do. Um, it's not kind of like a project I'm devoting my life to. It's just something I'll explore two or three times a year. And you know, maybe someday I'll do like uh, several days there. Yeah, I, I had a really, really wonderful weekend. Amazing. I'm glad, except that you didn't come visit me, of course, so. It was a long walk. I roll, everybody. So one more thing before we get really into the podcast. A few days ago, a listener named Tim Snow asked me about our logo. Apparently, he and a few guys, they were like racking their brains over like where they've seen this logo before. It's, it's, it's obviously like an homage or a parody, probably a parody, of something. And the best guess that they could make was something DC hardcore. Like they'd <laughs> seen it before, yeah, but they couldn't place exactly where it came from. Do you remember, Vanya, where we yes. got this logo? Yes, because I have the um, 
10 inch in my collection. Seven inch. Is it a seven? It is a seven inch. Okay. Seven inch. Yeah. Uh, Rites of Springs. Sorry. It's Rites of Springs. The seven inch is all through a life. And it was really easy to, to, to make this logo. Yes. episode including this one we put on our we put on our minor threat t-shirts maybe some motley crew t-shirts our cozy cardigans <laughs> and check out our answering machine we ask listeners to call in and leave us a message answering whatever weird ass question we come up with vanya what is the weird ass question this time around oh it would be which non-material photographic thing do you cherish the most Let's uh, let's see what people had to say. Push the button. Hi, this is Edna's Edibles. If you'd like to leave a message for Edna. Or Natalie. Or Tootie. Or Joe. Or Blair. <laughs> then talk. Bye. Hi, guys. Michael here. My first idea was to tell you about the magnificent taste of Rodano after you develop a fresh roll of Kodak XX in it. Then I remembered that I don't really develop my own film yet, and dropping such a joke as a first voice message might be a bit odd. (laughs) So what I've come up with as a non-material thing, photography-related thing I cherish the most is the squeak of my Canon A1 after I press the shutter. It attracts all the pedestrians around me, scares all the animals, but I've learned to associate with the chance that I just might create something beautiful. Do you know what he's talking about? The squeak of a cannon. No, um, I just recently got in, got a cannon like a few years ago. I was, I've always been kind of a Minolta or Nikon girl. And they don't squeak? Not that I know of. Hmm. But so what? Cannons must? Maybe it's only his cannon. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm usually kind of into sound, so I'm very curious about this. Yeah, uh, Michael, so you gotta... if you, yeah. if you'd like to, Make your camera squeak and send me some DMs. <laughs> that would be fantastic because I want to hear it. Okay, so this one I think is pretty clear cut for me. And even though in a way it seems like it is kind of still about something tangible, um, I don't really mean it that way. Uh, my answer is the specific moment that I am making a darkroom print and I put the paper in the developer tray and I agitate it, and the image reveals itself in real time right in front of my eyes. Um, That is about a physical object, but it's really more about this ephemeral moment, and in contrast to something that would happen when you're developing film or something like that, being able to actually watch that moment unfold of the image becoming real, um, nothing short of magical. I guess you haven't experienced that. So I will say, uh, yes, I remember the first time I ever printed something in the dark room and I was like, yep, this is, this is magic. And I want to do this forever and live in this dark room for the rest of my life. (laughs) It feels like that sometimes. (laughs) I agree with him. I don't think it's a material thing that he's describing. I mean, it's a material (laughs) thing happening. 
it's the feeling of experiencing that material thing. Hi guys, it's Suzanne. Photography brings me peace, really, and happiness. And the ability to connect and hang on to those moments in life that may be fleeting. I think in terms of especially my daughters and now including my stepkids and being able to pick up a camera when we're just hanging out or doing whatever and going back and having those images forever truly just brings me peace. And I can say the same for when I go out and pursue photographs other than people and people other than my family too. A connection and sense of satisfaction has brought me so much. Uh, do you shoot in like a peaceful manner? Absolutely. Really? Okay. Yeah, uh, I think it, well, as a professional wallflower, photography has always kept my my hands busy and has given me something to do. Uh, so I don't look super creeper or weirdo. So it's relaxing to me. It's it's safe. It's comfortable. Um, it's something I can turn to if I, you know, I'm feeling shy or whatever. So it's never going to happen again. So is that I have to photograph it. Yeah, because it's like it gives me peace of mind. I didn't I didn't lose it. Mm -hmm. It's it's not gone forever now. I have it. I captured it. I yeah. caught it. I think I'm more of a frantic. I think I used to be a lot more frantic. Oh, my, God, you're a complete psycho. But I don't think I am now. <laughs> you're I think fucking I'm a little psycho. Bit, a little bit better now than I was. Hello, hello, hello. This is Orsax from Israel. And the most non-material thing that I cherish is the moment when I have my last two shots on my Hasselblad. And it's the perfect moment, the perfect light. And I only need two shots. And I nail it. It's, it's, it's amazing. You can't beat that feeling. It's really good to hear from Orr, isn't it? I know. I, <laughs> I miss him. And I was just thinking, like, he's such an amazing photographer. He really is. He really and is. And he teaches kids. Like, I would love for Orr to be my my teacher. Absolutely. <laughs> We've talked before about having, like, you know, kind of blowing the last few shots on a roll just to finish it. Mm -hmm. Even on 120 film, you know? I, I So I get what he's saying, that when you have two shots to go and you know what those two shots are and everything just works out. That's such a fulfilling, like job well done to yourself, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's just a wonderful, nobody cares. Nobody but you cares about that. And you pull it off and you're, yeah. just, you're just happy with yourself. And it's a nice, it's nice that photography can make you happy with yourself sometimes because there's a lot of other things, including photography. That makes me really not happy with myself. My last role that I shot in the RB uh, was Sinistel 800. It was the last night that I s was there. <laughs> Beautiful golden hour. Um, I still have two shots left. And <laughs> I was sitting on the train tracks and I was like, I should really go in there and shoot these pictures. And I ended up just like talking to this like hobo <laughs> for like an, two hours. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was just fine. And I was okay. Like I kind of walked to the car with it and I was just like, it usually I'm disappointed. And I was like, 
it's okay. I can, um, I can finish this roll another night, I guess. Yeah. Will you, or you just blow the shots? I haven't blown the shots yet. Hello, my name's John from Dallas, Texas. Photography has given me a peace of mind, calmness, and a creative outlet by interrupting my day-to-day activities. It allows me to focus my attentions on something new every time I go out with my camera. Thanks. Keep up the great work. Love you guys. Bye. Thanks, John. Yeah. Is that his first time calling? I think it was his first time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. It's hard to keep track of everybody, but I'm pretty sure it was. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad that we still have some first timers coming in. Well, and... Michael was first time, and the one we have coming up next is first time as well. Oh, that's awesome! That's very yeah. awesome. So he's kind of said something similar to Suzanne, mm-hmm. um, but he also like he focuses attention on something new each time, and and I like that revisiting. We talk so much about revisiting places that we've shot before, and. Yes. It's it's so easy to find new things in new places. That's a big reason why we shoot new things uh, and new places because it's just easy. But when mm-hmm. you're going back to the same places, it's it's a little more challenging to find something new. And and when you do, it's well, maybe it's peaceful, but it's definitely fulfilling. I kind of stopped expecting that I I've shot everything somewhere. Uh, I just, I don't think like that anymore hmm. because I know I haven't. Yeah. There's always something new that you see when you, when you go somewhere and, and that's, that's a gift, honestly. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's places that I'm, I'm okay with not shooting again. Yeah. But if I had to, I could, I could probably find something new there. If you guys didn't know, I live in Los Angeles. <laughs> Wait, really? California? Yeah. It's weird because like I see, you know, people travel, come to LA a lot, film photographers, you know, YouTube videos, whatever. And it's always the same. Palm trees, Venice Beach, skate park, you know, the typical like beach shot, in and out. <laughs> Yeah. You know, burgers and airplanes or whatever. I get it because those are like the nostalgic things that you want to see. And you can't really see them anywhere else. No, most of those. but I'm trying to think like, I mean, I've skated that skate park. I have a picture of me and Marley. It's it's actually one of my favorite pictures of us. Um I'm holding her skateboard and she's like crying for it. I've and that's seen actually, that. yeah, that's at the Venice skate park. And it's like. It's my favorite photo. I love it. She's like, she's so pissed at me. She's just like, give me my skateboard back. (laughs) Also, it's a old Salba board, which is kind of badass for a two year old. Not gonna, not gonna lie. I've skated there before. I've never shot it. Um, I just don't, I don't think I could add anything to it. And maybe that's because I don't have that creativity for, for it, but I want to shoot LA. I want to shoot California in a way that people don't think of California. California has been, been shot a lot. Yes. Yeah. There's definitely places that people hit every time they go to California. Salvation Mountain being a big one, Bombay being another one. Yeah, so the bom- uh like Bombay, that's another thing like just because of um like old skate videos like Fruit of the Vine and mm-hmm. stuff like that, like there's like a ton of old uh pools out there yeah. that 
I've always wanted to shoot, but it's it's a little bit of different shooting, obviously, because it's like skateboarding. But yeah, like I I haven't I haven't shot there either. It's just like I I have an idea of what I would like to shoot. It's just not it's not there yet. Yeah. And yeah, Salvation or the Salvation Mountain. Like, what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> like, and then, shoot black and white? I don't that would know. be such a challenge to find something new there. And I've never shot the place. <laughs> so I believe that there's this muscle that we don't, some of us don't train as often. And it's, and it's really related to this, um, the amount of time and effort that is required to take a picture, process it, scan it, and uh, obviously the expenses behind it and everything. And what I mean by that is I remember the first time I used a disposable camera a couple of years ago, maybe a little bit more, and as I was composing one of the shots, I was thinking so much, I was so consumed to kind of make sure that it's well leveled and everything. And personally, as a combo operator, I feel I work in the field of documentary and I take shots all the time and I'm really used to it. But because I knew that I'm limited by the frames, I knew how much money I'll be spending on it, developing it, scanning it, and the time I'll be consuming, I was really focused every single time I was exposing a picture, this muscle in my brain was getting worked out. Yeah, I mean, kind of nailed it on the head as far as like why I don't shoot digital. I feel like I'm too mindless for that. Um, impulsive, I will literally just like press the button down and I'll end up with like 5,000 fucking pictures that I will never look at. <laughs> I'll get through like four of them and I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't go through these anymore. It's too many. Yeah, I was, that's honestly, and it sounds silly. It sounds ridiculous, but that's the, one of the reasons I gave up 35 is because I decided at some point that I'm just going to shoot 35 like most people shoot digital. So that was like bulk loading and things like that. And it's just like, oh my God, there's just so much to do now. I've, I've given myself too much work. Mm-hmm. And I was just shooting so mindlessly. And now it's a, a different thing. Yes. And I agree on some level, mm-hmm. but disagree on another. Because this past weekend... I was doing some light trespassing and it was going to be a hike and I had to uh, find, I had to like forge a river basically. Mm -hmm. And I did not know if it was going to be like neck, like deep, waist deep, not sure. So I just brought the Nikon F with me Mm -hmm. because it was a sturdy camera, um, probably could have used it to start a fire. Um, <laughs> it was the perfect camera for that outing. Yeah, and that. it was it felt good to miss 35. I'm not excited about developing any of the, the film. <laughs> uh, that's a whole different story. Yeah. But just having it, it was just perfect. I had like a little tiny small backpack with like my little water thing and the camera, a hat. And that's it. Maybe like some licorice because I'm a psycho. But yeah, it was best day ever. Well, thank you to everybody who called, including our three first time callers. That's really wonderful. Hopefully you guys stick around for like next season. Yeah, some goods coming. (laughs) Uh, So give a listen to our next episode of Dev Party and you can hear our take on this question. And since it's the last day of school, we don't have a question for you. 
So I guess you'll just have to, you'll be all right. I think you'll do okay. School's out for summer. film detectives and we're here to solve mysteries of the photo universe i'm charlie i'm sarah i am bringing this week's case file got it in my hot little hands and this is the case of the common cliche so Ooh, I love it. you know i am someone who photographs a lot of americana abandoned nostalgia stuff and I'm in good company because a lot of people mm -hmm. do that. So I spend a lot of time thinking about cliches and if I'm doing anything new or if I'm just taking pictures because I'll tell other pictures based on that, whatever. And and I think I'm in good company because in the last year, you know, that book Photo No-Nos came out, which mm -hmm. is about personal kind of photo rules for yourself. And then I think also in the last year, that Instagram account Analog Repeat came out, mm -hmm. kind of capitalizing on the idea of photographers all doing the same thing all the time, you know? So I've been thinking, like, what is a cliche and does it even matter? Mm -hmm. So that's 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 the crux of this case. So I would like to hear your relationship to to the dreaded cliche. When I say photo cliches, like just thoughts. The more I think about cliches, the more I am wondering, like, what counts as a cliche? You know what I mean? It's like I'm trying to think of some common ones. And like a lot of what I see is just like cars. And I will say I fucking hate the car photos. I will say I don't hate photos with cars in them like if you're taking a photo of a cool scene and there's a car in it it adds to the landscape um amazing but what i'm talking about is just like the overrun like close-up photos of like the fucking weird corner of a car and it's just like what am i even i'm just like what is this it drives me insane but that's just like one cliche like i don't know basketball courts maybe that's another one and i'm just like what counts as a cliche right am i just not too my is my mind too closed right now to think of what they are so then i started thinking about which what cliches do i shoot right yeah and i am one big one that comes to mind is signs love a fucking sign pan painted blow mold those like pop in a letter signs like church and hot dog menu signs i love them all but then i'm like is that does that count as a cliche or is that just like a subsection of like collectors of like, I don't know, of Americana, I guess. So it seems like the you can identify <laughs> cliches in what you dislike, but you're having a hard time identifying as things you like as possibly being cliche. That's hilarious. I love that you burned <laughs> me on that. Okay. So I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. So because signs, I don't know, because signs change also like letters and stuff, like messages in them. There's age. There's also when I look for hand-painted signs, like I look at technique. So I guess why I'm having trouble wrapping my head around it as a cliche, it's like, is it just like, oh, here's a sign. Let me take a picture of it because it's America. Or is there something more? I don't know. 
that's could be how like people who take those cropped car photos are thinking too. And I'm just being a bitch. <laughs> Can I characterize your relationship to the cliche as I would love you to as it's complicated. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. It is complicated. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think you're in good company. So I did ask some people on Instagram a while ago. I uh, pulled them. First question was, do you have any photo cliches that you won't do them because they're cliche, you know, uh -huh. which is fine. You know, I'm not putting any judgment on either end of this because uh, these are self rules, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. First one, first one was cars, which mm -hmm. we brought up. The second one was mirror selfies. Mm -hmm. The third one was homeless. Mm. And the fourth one was gas station. And mm, you, yes, you know, you already know I'm going to circle back to homeless. We're just going to say something yeah. really quick about this and then move on. I do not think that clowns is a cliche. I think that it is um, a violation of privacy. And mm -hmm. I would put that in a different camp because I think that cliches are, at the end of the day, harmless. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, I think there's a lot of issues with photographing unhoused. I don't feel great about it. And mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to just take that one out to me. Hard agree. Took the words right out of my mouth. Yes. Okay. So let's take that one out. That is a different issue. Um, so then I asked, what are the cliches that you love? And you're just going to keep shooting them because you don't give a fuck. And the top mm -hmm. answers were cars. Love it. Gas, <laughs> gas stations. <laughs> mirror selfies. <laughs> neon signs. Yeah. And, and golden hour, which I thought was hilarious because it's golden. like, we can't, golden hour I mean, can't be a cliche. A light source isn't a cliche. Like that's, you need the right, you need light for photography, really. And like part of photography is like mastering and understanding your light. That, but that's a hilarious that so but many like, people answered that and made it yeah, to your list. Multiple people that's so funny. answered that. And a lot of the people who said, like biggest cliche is cars said mm -hmm. the cliche I love and I'm not going to stop shooting is cars. There are a lot of people who had the yeah. same answer. Both. So I really started thinking about this because so for mirror selfies, let's say mm -hmm. I'm guilty of this. I get it. I get that it's a cliche, but I absolutely love it. When I think about what a mirror selfie is, I'm thinking about not only am I seeing the artist creating a piece of art, the artist is creating a piece of art where the artist is also the subject. What is the artist telling me about themselves? They're in control of the whole narrative. When you think about art history and the evolution of art over the years, it's like there were people, people of color and women that were always left out of the narrative that were never able to kind of like get their art into museums of how they saw themselves. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so like, I'm like mirror selfie, always love it is it revolutionary no but mm -hmm. i'm i'm seeing something here that's like working for me and yeah. that's because those are the things like i think about all the time you know those kind of like uh, you know art history the evolution of art that kind of thing because i'm that kind of nerd so kind of going off of your i can identify like the cliches that i don't like because they're not really kind of a part of my life like Mm -hmm. You said basketball hoops. Are you a hooper? Are you a basketball? Are you a b-ball girl? Do you play basketball? Do I play basketball? No, but okay. I'll shoot a hoop or two if, uh, like, cars. I'll photograph a hoop or two if it looks Ca good. Cars. You're famously a non-driver, right? 
<laughs> yes, yes. That okay, is my claim so to fame. <laughs> these things are just not a super part of your daily life, you know, yeah. and not important to you. But then I was like, well, what about someone who takes a lot of pictures of cars that I know that you like and really appreciate is filmed by Kate, our friend. Yeah. So that is film by K-A-I-T underscore is her Instagram handle. And she takes a lot of pictures of cars. And because we know her, we also know that like her father was a mechanic. Mm -hmm. She has like a lifelong, uh, the cars have always been part of the fabric of her life. I think you can see that coming through in her work. You know, it's not a cliche to her because cars are, yeah. you know, and then you see that. Exactly. Think, oh, this is great. You know, so it's I, as long as the artist has a good relationship to the item that may or may not be cliche, I think that has a lot of impact on how the art turns out, you know, rather than just car corners all the time, car corners. Yeah. You know? But also, can't car corners say something about the evolution of <laughs> design in America? I'm sure they can. That's just not something I spend day in and day out thinking of. Yeah, I have to absolutely agree with you. And I know I came into this segment hot talking shit about cars, but I do want to backpedal a little bit and clarify. I don't hate all car photos because like kate is a great example because like to her you can see that she like this is important to her not only that like she's a brilliant photographer and like composition artist and like you can see when she like takes a photo of even if it's like a close-up photo of a car or if it's just like a cityscape with a car in it like you can see how she thought about it and incorporated it into the scene and like it's it's stunning not just for being a car but for being her work and i think my like gripe about that cliche is it seems like from my bitch ass perspective that some people tend to use like the beautiful design of old cars as like i don't know how to say like a like an a excuse yeah exactly that's exactly the word i was yeah. looking for like a crutch it's like they're not taking like even like an interesting angle or something. It's just kind of like, I don't know, partially focused. I don't know. I don't want to get too like specific on it, but it seems like the car is the is the crutch and the photo itself doesn't say that much or is that interesting if it wasn't for that car's details. Do you know what I mean? I do, but I, I think kind of the larger thing is, and I'm glad you said cars, even though you're like, oh shit, well now I'm, you know, I want to backpedal on it, but I'm glad you said it because I think that's exactly the relationship that like people have with cliches where they're uh -huh. kind of like, oh, that the uh, like car photos, not for me, da, da, da. Yeah. But then if I was like, well, don't you follow XYZ, whoever, all these people, it, you'd be like, oh wait, I do. And then you just start thinking, well, but their cartoons pictures are different. And this is why they're different <laughs> because they really have like a thing of color theory or whatever. So it's like, Sure, things can mm -hmm. be cliche, but they can still always be photographed beautifully. Mm -hmm. So like, so yeah. what? Fucking beautiful fucking point. Yeah, and that makes you me know? think of like, when I'm traveling, like I won't not take the tourist photo, you know? Cause like, that's for oh. me. Like, that's for me. Yeah, I want it. I don't care how many people have taken this photo. It's for me. <laughs> have I been to Roy's Cafe? No. If I go to Roy's Cafe, am I taking pictures of that sign? You bet your Obviously. sweet ass. Why wouldn't I? Yeah, exactly. I'm there. Yeah. yeah. You know, it is like, uh, I felt the same way kind of when we went to Salvation Mountain. Like, oh, it's uh -huh. so cliche and blah, blah, blah. But I, I still got good photos out of it. I'm glad mm -hmm. I still tried. I definitely didn't want to post all of them. Some of them yeah. were definitely like the tourist cut. But like, at the end of the day, even if they're cliche, so what? I I think Who that's gives what. a fuck? Yeah. <laughs> because there's always a way to do it that's new. There's always a way to do it that's fresh. I was kind of also thinking I about agree. the relationship statement 
nothing in art is new. You can't do anything new in art anymore. You know how they always say that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I think that's in a way more freeing than it is oppressive because it's like, great. <laughs> I don't have to do something that no one's ever seen before. Great. I'll just do something else really well. That's really pretty. That's fine. But you know what I mean? Yeah, that's Yeah, that's really nice. It's a good way to think about it. See, I do like, sometimes I will take the, I don't know how to word this, like maybe the cliches as a challenge. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And yeah. like try to shoot it in a different way, which even you said some reiteration of this before. It's like, there's always a different way to do it. So I'm just like, how can I move and look at this in a new way? So right. in a different way, I'm just like, there's gotta be, a, there's gotta be another one that hasn't been discovered yet. I'm gonna find it, which is funny because I'm not that competitive otherwise. <laughs> but even just the way that you would see a sign that I would see and your mind would be looking for different shapes and colors to bring out. Uh -huh. and my mind would, it, even if taking a picture of some famous neon sign or whatever is cliche, it's like, mm -hmm. it's still always going to be, yeah, but this one has Charlie's twist on it because Charlie totally. really looks at the like topographics of the situation. And I tend to like really try and make everything look isolated. So everything's always totally. going to be a little bit different. And, and that's I, awesome. And that's also one of the cool things about traveling with you, a friend and photographer who is interested in the same things because we can like compare these scenes that we're both like, ooh, but then our photos look completely different. And it's very cool. Agree. So I'm glad to say that this case is definitely closed. It The cliche doesn't matter. Fuck the cliche. Everyone go out and have a good time. That's it. I love it. We're doing something a little different this episode. It's something we did in a way last year at this time. We're talking to the one and only Kate Miller Wilson. Last year, we were blessed with Kate and her son, Ian, and we discussed his role in photography. So today we will check in with Kate again and see how she's been doing over the last year and how her photography has evolved. Let's give Kate a call. Hello, Kate. Thank you hey. so much for uh, joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. <laughs> Absolutely. We're, this is kind of a different episode that we're doing for us. So we're going to be doing a, a little bit of an interview with you first, just kind of catching up, seeing how you're doing. And then we're going to be talking about Anne Brigman. A photographer from the early 1900s. Yay! Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm stoked. <laughs> Kate, you were on our last episode right before summer break last time, right? Oh yeah. So this it's is almost like believe. this little tradition we got going on. Hasn't really been that long. It has. <laughs> yeah, wow. a whole That's year. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you were planning your waterfalls trip. Right. Yeah. Right. How'd that go? It was good. Great. It was good. We did like a three week uh, Western trip, driving trip, which would cost like six times as much money today <laughs> yeah, as it, it did last summer. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was really, it was really fun. We had a great time. And I mean, it was a long time to be in the car with children, but you know. Yeah. How'd you, good. how'd you do it? Uh, audiobooks. Oh, <laughs> yeah. For them or for you? For the whole car. And Ooh. then, Yeah. 
What did you shoot when you were out last summer? I mean, my standard thing is, you know, I'm trying to get portraits that are evocative of of a feeling. So that was really fun to try in new places. I always love doing that in new places. So mm -hmm. lots of pictures of kids. How was it in new places? It's it's really exciting. It's like there, you know, I mean, sometimes you need something. I think that's I think it's true for most of us. Like, you know, that's why we travel and shoot cuz it's like you can get bored doing the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I really do in the in this winter time because with large format it's hard to shoot outside here in Minnesota. Yeah, uh, yes. I I still do it a little, but I'm a wimp about the cold. <laughs> so, but traveling, you know, especially in the summertime, we we do a lot of either day trips or or longer trips, and yeah. it, it's just really um, energizing, which is which is awesome. So you shot in Washington. You met up with Eric. Yeah, that's true. That's awesome. Tell us how how shooting. I, I actually am very interested on your take on shooting with Eric because. <laughs> I'm right. I'm here. interested. It's okay. We could <laughs> No, it was awesome. Actually, like I recognized Eric before he said anything, which is weird because like you were standing by that sign where we had to read about what the to do with the parking. Oh, I sure, think. sure. I can't remember. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey, that's Eric. <laughs> but I hadn't seen you, so I don't know how I do that. I just exude Ericness. You do. You do. <laughs> yeah. I'm really socially anxious, like as, as a human, I really, it's like, it's hard for me even to yeah. just go to the grocery store. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. But you were really easy to be around, Eric. Oh, well, so. that's, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I'm, I'm very socially awkward and anxious as well, including going to the grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do. Yeah. I, um, likewise, but also weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I just don't go to the grocery store anymore. But interacting with Eric was way easier than interacting with a grocery store checkout person. Yeah, so. which is interesting because I've been <laughs> yeah. a grocery store checkout person. Well, oh. yeah, maybe I just didn't have you as the person and it would have been easier. <laughs> Probably not. No, it was, it was, well, it was a while ago. Did you end up at the beach by any chance in Washington? We did. We went um, to uh, Olympic and we were there. We went to like all those beaches in that we could semi easily walk to within a couple miles of parking. So that was really fun. The kids like loved the tide pools and yeah, I was awesome. constantly sitting on the beach, changing film in my lap in a bag, which <laughs> always looked a little suspicious. <laughs> I get some strange looks. <laughs> nobody's seen a dark bag before. Nobody no, has any idea what that is. Weird. You could be doing anything. <laughs> anything like, at all. <laughs> yeah. In a bag. Yeah, that's why I do it in my car in the driver's seat and I stare at people. <laughs> oh, nice. I like it. <laughs> so, like, I, I think that there is probably a facial expression that goes with changing film in a dark bag because oh, you're sure. like, you get that look that like, you know. Mm -hmm. thinking about something else. <laughs> I bet it's different for everybody. I remember like, you know, there are kids who would be thinking at school and they'd like stick their tongue yeah. out just a little bit. Right. And I bet people do that when they're in their changing bag. Just like a little yeah. tongue, a little out. Just like. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, uh, for sure. Definitely. Do, do you do that? I can see you doing that, Vanya. What? No. Maybe it's a compliment. <laughs> I was assuming that you were going to tell me that the beach was amazing. So we could both tell Eric that there's so much stuff to shoot there and that he should definitely. But I've shot at the beach. Ugh, like a million you, years Vanya. ago. With you. <laughs> Not in Washington. 
It oh, was amazing. I, I don't like Washington beaches as much. Okay, well, the Olympics, yes. The, the, the Olympic National Park beaches. <laughs> Ruby Beach is beautiful. Yeah. It's really wonderful. I get that. It's it's not often that I get there. And there's not much else around there. It's pretty much, here you go, beach. What else have I got? Nothing. You got the beach. And it's, it's, not, it's not my jam. Yeah. yeah, but you have beach at high tide. You have beach at low tide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Day but they're like so time, far apart. Nighttime. Like, what do I do in between that? Uh, make some food. I don't know. Bake some cinnamon buns. <laughs> oh, oh, a, like on my engine block? What do you think? Where do I do this? Iron pan. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I loved shooting at the beach. We had like the kids were so absorbed with the tide pools and oh, yeah. just yeah. the waves. Like Ian just spent I don't know hours staring at the waves rolling in, oh. and I tried to take photos of that and like. <laughs> <laughs> I dropped a film holder in the ocean and oh. I didn't realize it because I had it like tucked under my arm oh. while I was focusing. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, there's a film holder in the ocean. How did that happen? And then I was like, oh, wait, that's my film holder. And then it was gone. Anybody but lose a film no. holder? <laughs> but it was unexposed. So whatever. <laughs> but, oh, wow. It's probably like, a, I don't know where it went. I mean, it, it maybe it floated to another country and... It's like wow. a message in a bottle, but it's not. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I love that. When it's super clear, you find some pretty cool stuff in the ocean and some yeah. weird things, too. <laughs> well, do, do you remember when we did that episode on shooting underwater? The first mm-hmm. guy to shoot underwater just just went for it, just took a yes. camera underwater and shot with it <laughs> and right. said that the saltwater has no effect on the film whatsoever. Lies. He, he did say that it flipped the image around so that it wasn't mirrored. I don't know if that's true. Part of my brain thinks it can be. And the other part's just like, mm. no, I don't yeah. know about that. Yeah, but that's, yeah, but he said it had no, no effect. Then he had a picture that you could almost tell was taken underwater. So I've yeah. definitely have gotten salt water on some of my images and they it changes things for sure. Well, you'd have to wash it off. And I'm sure he he developed. Well, it was a, it was a wet plate, oh, or it could have been a dry right. plate, I guess. But it was definitely a plate. So here's something that we can do on summer vacation: is sink <laughs> a four by five camera in salt water, see what happens. I might, I might actually just do that. I, Wait, to... I guess I could take the Intrepid in the water. I mean, who cares about that thing, right? It's not mine. I think it's mine. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's mine. I mean, if you. If you're going to take any camera in the ocean, it would be that one. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, like, how much would you have to hate your four by five to take it into the ocean? Well, you just have to not use yours. I'll just use Eric. (laughs) I I mean, if you if you have a lens that you can take apart and clean. Right. Then your lens is fine. Hmm. If you want to not use a shutter, then you don't have to worry about the shutter. So of any of the cameras that exist... A four by five minus a shutter is probably the best one to take underwater. Hmm. Because yeah, that's true. There's nothing. Yeah, just clean it. Yeah. Just hose it down when you're done. <laughs> you know, like you do anyway. I don't know what would happen to the bellows underwater though. Like it. Um, maybe if they were really leather, like. Graflex bellows are just rubber. Oh, so I could build. You could build a piece together an underwater four by five camera. Yeah. Uh-oh. That's a good idea. Do it, Vanya. Awesome. Do it. So in the past year, you've you've started shooting 8x10. 
I, yeah. And I don't use it as much as I thought I would. I mean, I use it like, but it's very interesting. I would think it would be, I, I sort of expected that it would be significantly different and it's, it's not, it's like a giant four by nine. <laughs> I guess that does make some sense. Yeah. <laughs> it- and it's less convenient. Yeah. Yeah. How, what do you, um, what are you shooting in it usually as far as uh film? Um, oh it, yeah. So that's another thing, right? Like, so I'm shooting Arista because everything, yeah. <laughs> at least four times the cost. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm shooting Arista in it and I have some, um, HP five sheets and I have a box of of Portra 160 that my friend Ooh, found for me, wow. which was really nice. Yeah. But I'm always afraid to like, it, it never quite feels worth it. And I also just don't think in color. <laughs> but, <laughs> Isn't that weird? It. It's like, it's, <laughs> yeah. color's not all that important to me, but shooting no. it, I, I don't know if it's worth it. it it's a, I need something really important for color that I don't really care about all that much. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's the thing, right? Yeah. Like, I don't you know. It's $20 for a sheet and you're like, yeah. Oh no. Uh, so I'm shooting mostly Arista in it, which is, and then I'm developing in trace cause it's, I have a thing that's supposed to work for that, but I couldn't get it to work in a tank. Oh, so okay, that's it. Yeah. But trays are fine. And, it, but everything is slower. So it's like, you know, I'm doing a couple sheets and cause you never, I mean, when it's, you know, six bucks a shot you're like oh mm-hmm. i think i'll just do maybe four <laughs> yeah yeah for sure <laughs> and i have a couple of lenses for it. i have a packard shutter my uncle built a box for so i can use that with a cook lens i have and then cool. i also have a wide angle for it so oh nice. it's fun it's just um like it, it's it's kind of limiting in a way because everything is a little bit more cumbersome, which is already a thing with four by five, but I'm, you know, it, you get used to it, Yeah. but that sort of extra level of cumbersome, <laughs> it, it kind of becomes an impediment sometimes like to be able to carry it, it, instead of being six pounds, it's 13 pounds, which is, which is fine. And I mostly make my children carry. That's fair. <laughs> but 13 pounds, it's hard to like, you know, they're already kind of complaining about the, the, the four by five. So, so you, you still use the four by five mostly though. Yeah. 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 I, I have to, um, I mostly shoot the zone six and uh, because I love to be able to do camera movements. Yeah. And then I have a speed graphic also that is nice for, I have an arrow actor for it. So it's nice to be able to shoot that without you know, to have the focal plane shutter. That's true. Yeah, I've been using yeah. focal plane shutter quite a bit and I love it. It's nice. Really, it's really fun as far as it opening up, you know, your options. The thing is, I was finding with that Aero Ektar too, I, I thought I would really be upset not to have the movements that I'm used to, but then when you're shooting at a really, really shallow depth of field, like I usually shoot at a really shallow depth of field, but f 2.5 on that thing is like oh yeah it's insane and it somehow 
I, it's weird, but if you use, or I found for me, at least if I use movements with it, it kind of messes it up. Like you get the person's eyes in focus, but not their face, the rest of their face <laughs> like just their eyes. <laughs> it's, it becomes like, it, it almost becomes distracting. Yeah. And so I, I, it's changed, it changes how I shoot with that, which is fine. It's good to have a variety of ways to, to shoot. But I know you and I have talked about it before. I'm not the biggest fan of the arrow ektar. And I think yeah. it's more, I'm not a biggest, I'm not the biggest fan of a lot of people who shoot the arrow ektar, or at least of their yeah. photos. I don't think against them personally. Right. <laughs> Except for that one guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know, you know who you are. <laughs> uh, but I was looking at yours and I was like, oh, I really like this. I really like this. I look at, you know, what it, how you took it. I'm like, oh, it's the arrow ektar. That's interesting. You shoot it in a way that isn't, um, and I apologize to those who might shoot it, cliche. Oh, well, thank you. Because it is. It's an incredibly, uh, it's an easy lens to fall back on the effects yeah. of. Yeah, it has a lot of hype. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, it's interesting if I tag a photo as having been, I usually, I almost always say what I used mm -hmm. because I feel like that stuff shouldn't be secret. People should be able to. Yeah, of course. But when I tag it that I used it with the Arrowectar, I get comments about the Arrowectar. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it 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 becomes it's that whole thing of like nice you, you had a nice camera. <laughs> but, but it is it, it's an interesting lens to shoot, and I think that it's so beautiful. It really is a beautiful thing that the way that it renders the background um and the sort of separation between the the background and the subject it has that really really extreme 3d effect which is yeah. which is fun mm -hmm. but it's hard to learn how to use it in a way that doesn't feel like every other photo with it and i'm i'm not sure i have that figured out yet i i'm kind of well you're it. posting the ones you got lucky on then oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm very impressed with it I'm, I'm, no, thanks. When you, you told me you, you had kept it like you hadn't used it in a while. Yeah. And then you told, I've oh, it a long time. Yeah. You never mentioned it. I never, you know, or I hadn't been paying attention maybe. And he's like, oh, I have an air guitar. I'm going to pull it out and use it. I'm just like, hmm. Mm, okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a bummer. <laughs> 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 but I underestimated you, which was just dumb on my part. <laughs> Thank you. I think. <laughs> I think that's a compliment. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's how I, I meant it. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Wait, don't you have one, Eric? I have an Ektar, but it's a very different thing, and I don't use it. It, it came with one of the Graflexes, and I, I did the thing that most people do. I was like, oh, kit lens, nah. <laughs> oh, I don't okay. even know if I shot it with. I, I should have. I'm sure it's a fine lens. I like the idea of a large format kit lens. Yeah, I mean, it, it is though. I mean, the, the Graflex came with something. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and that something is the kit lens. Yeah. I don't even know when that came, that when that term came out. I, I didn't hear it before digital. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, they must have sent, they, well, they did sell things together in kits. Like, yeah. Yeah. for yeah. as long as there have been cameras, really. Yeah. Almost. But when you hear kit lens, like I always think like 18 to 55. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. yeah. <laughs> And 55 to 300 or 200 or something, you're like, ill. <laughs> who wants that? Someone gave me like real shit for using a zoom lens once. Really? Yeah. It was a professional photographer who I, who I knew from before photography life, but she was just like, 
what are you doing with that thing? I'm like, well, I composed in camera. What do you, what do you mean, what am I doing with it? I'm, I'm taking pictures. It's, it's really great. Don't you know that if you're, if you don't want to walk closer to something, you can just turn it a little bit and it's like you walked closer to it. You mean like you don't have to zoom with your feet? Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Why isn't everybody using this? Like, well, professional photographers generally enjoy prime lenses. <laughs> like, sucks to be them then. I do understand the quote unquote error of my ways, but you know what? You know, it's only the results that matter. It's like, if you like what you have, it doesn't really matter what gear you used. Um, speaking of gear of another sort, I noticed one of your photos is of one of your kids ho hovering over a toilet. And <laughs> yeah. it, it says, uh, one of the few pictures I've taken of a toilet. What are the others? You know, it isn't really a common setting or subject for me, but that one was, he'd had his first uh, COVID vaccine and was sick. <laughs> so, oh. And then he let me, they're really nice sometimes. And they let me take pictures and, and then I let them look at it. If it's something like that, like he was kind of embarrassed about a picture of him puking on the internet. <laughs> it's pretty punk rock. I mean, yeah. he'll, he'll grow into it. <laughs> He definitely will. It's it's a good one. Right. Next time I get brain surgery, I'll just be like, Eric, come over and photograph my my head, please. Yeah, it would you. make sense to get somebody who's very used to taking portraits to do something like that. I don't see what could you can possibly make it, happen. It's okay. Make it a landscape. It's fine. <laughs> just, just make it a landscape. Yeah, it's a landscape. Turn the camera the other way. You're fine. So what is up for your summer plans? Probably we're going to be going on an Eastern trip, which I am definitely bringing four by five for, even though we're flying, I refuse to travel yes. without it. Nice. I can't take it. <laughs> I get so sad when I don't have it. <laughs> um, so we're going to go to Washington, DC and cool. do that whole thing. And that'll be fun. Um, and then go up to go up the coast and go to Acadia. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so that'll be fun. It'll be kind of a combination of like nature and city. And we're going to like sort of do a quick thing in New York, like an overnight. And I, I would love to try to get, I mean, I have all these like things in my mind that won't come to fruition. You know how that goes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I think that's what's been really hard for me as a photographer with the pandemic. It's like you get this whole like constant stress. Every decision you're making for like mm -hmm. two years is this big thing. And you have to like you can't go into the grocery store without thinking, should I wear a mask? And mm -hmm. what's the, you know, it everything. Yeah. And, and I think you get fatigued by that and it starts to become harder to have those ideas and harder to feel inspired and just having the idea, even if the light doesn't work out, even if the kids are, you know, not into it or there are 5 million people in the way and it's not going to happen. Just, yeah, is, a, is really valuable. Maybe just being a little bit more mindful that we have those inspirations and we're not even realizing like that that is that is like that creativity that we're like desperately looking for and even though we're not maybe getting it it's still there and it's that's really important I mean I, I remember there was a time where I would have you know all these ideas and I had I felt lucky if I could even try to create 30 percent of the things I thought of mm -hmm. and now it's not like that anymore and and it makes you really appreciate when you when you have <laughs> things you want to try. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> 
Photographer Anne Brigman is known almost exclusively for her nudes. Much of her known available work depicts bodies contorted and twisted among the contorted and twisted pines of the High Sierra Mountains in California. Her photography was unlike almost anything else in the early 1900s, and yet it fit perfectly into Alfred Stieglitz's photo secessionist movement. Today, with Kate Miller-Wilson, we're going to talk about Anne Brigman and a little bit about Alfred Stieglitz. But first, a little biography of Anne. Anne Knott, later Brigman, was born in 1869 to a family of Christian missionaries in Hawaii. Like so many raised in the Christian church, her early values and morality were shaped by conservative traditions. She was taught, and for a time believed, that a woman's place was in the home, in the kitchen or in the bedroom, making lunch or making babies. She was the oldest of eight. When Anne was 16, she and her family moved to Central California. Not much seems to be known of her life at this time, but we do know that it didn't involve photography. At the age of 25, she married Martin Brigman, a much older sea captain. This gave her the opportunity to see the world with him, sailing across the seas to different lands. Her family, though basically accepting him, saw the couple as wild and free. But this odd marriage also settled her in a way. Together, they owned a home in Oakland. This was near enough to Anne's family that she was able to see them often. By the turn of the century, Anne had become nearly obsessed with the High Sierras. It was then that she discovered photography. She probably acquired her first camera from her sister, Elizabeth, and was immediately smitten. Her first photos, taken when she was 32, were of her family. These were mostly typical portraits rendered in a somewhat impressionistic style. A year later, her work was exhibited by the San Francisco Photographic Salon and printed in Camera Craft, the magazine of the San Francisco Camera Club. She also began a correspondence with Alfred Stieglitz, founder of the photo succession movement, who was currently waging a war with both the photography and the art communities, insisting that photography be considered an art rather than a science. So what we'll be doing is similar. If you remember about a year ago, we had Kate on, we talked about Nell Dorr. We all gathered a few of her photos that we enjoyed and we did the same thing with Anne's. We're taking them in basically chronological order. And so the first one is actually one that I selected called The Great Interrogation, which was shot in either 1902 or 1905. I've seen different references to it. It first appeared in Camera Craft, and one of her early photos that plays upon her Christian upbringing. Apparently, it represents Mary Magdalene. She had not really moved away from her faith at that point, and she was figuring out ways to merge it with her art. If anybody who has been raised in a Christian church uh, and, and have transitioned out of the Christian church can probably relate to how we're desperately clinging to a faith that we don't necessarily believe in, but trying to incorporate into the rest of our lives, especially our art. Where'd she get the skull? Yeah. And where did you get your skull? <laughs> yeah, I borrowed it. <laughs> is it is it a real human skull that you have? Well, I don't have it, but I, yes, it, it was. It, it is a real human skull okay. that a friend of mine got from a friend of hers who got it from. I think her uncle went to med school and mm -hmm, sure yeah, like a long time ago. Most, like yeah, they, they don't hand those out as much as they used to. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was very lucky that she let me borrow it. 
it sat in my living room for a while too. It was amazing. Yeah. And it wasn't that creepy. Like mm. you'd think it would be. We've but... all got them. Right. Yeah, true. <laughs> right. We all have there are a few in the house right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, this picture is awesome. I mean, there there are a couple of things going on here that are really cool. Like so the light of the candle is not lighting the picture. Right. Mm-hmm. Like when people see a picture done with candlelight, they often think the candle is lighting it and you can't do it very well that way. I mean, you can, but it's hard. And I just think, I think it's really neat the way the face of the skull is in shadow it, mm-hmm. and hers is in light. Mm. Love the grain. It is very much like a painting. It's beautiful. Um, also, I'm just in awe of her signature like what the hell <laughs> i mean i guess he had more time to like work on stuff like that but mine <laughs> looks like sh- i mean i just like gosh i know i never will like be famous because my signature is crap like i'll be like no like it's not gonna happen for me because my signature sucks it's <laughs> the only reason why <laughs> that, that is it yep. that's the thing keeping you back that's a bummer i would really work on that signature if i were you <laughs> pay dividends. Uh, so in 1903, which may be a year after she took this picture or two years before she took this picture, and just two years after picking up a camera, Alfred Stieglitz accepted her membership into his movement. There were a lot of caveats that went with that, including what we'll get to is um, her not getting a show. So the next photo we're coming to is Ballet de Mer. From mm-hmm. 1908. Vanya, this is yours. Yeah. So printed in 1913, shot in Point Reyes. Uh, one of the only early photos that Stieglitz thought was good enough to show and uh, published in Vanity Fair for an article that Stieglitz wrote about her. Obviously, I picked this one for many reasons. I want to be naked, frolicking on the beach (laughs) at all times. So, um, yes. And then when I think of the beach, this is what I think of. I think of a raw, rugged, not very Southern California look to it. It's playful. The shadows on her body are just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I think it's absolutely incredible. Like, um, especially... Okay, I mean, this is a kind of a dorky thing, but the light, the dynamic range here mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. is amazing. I mean, she's mm-hmm. got, I've tried to get pictures like, not like this exactly, but, you know, inside a rock like that. And you've got this deep shadow in the rock or under the rock and then the bright light outside it. And she has everything there, mm-hmm. I mean, there are some parts that are a little bit black, but there, there's still shadow detail in most of it. And you can see the waves and there's, you know, it, it gives you such a sense of, you can almost hear the sound of the surf and mm-hmm. feel the sunlight. It, it becomes this really sensory experience because there's so much detail. Also, I'm going to embarrass myself a little bit. I, I haven't done it much in the past, I don't know, 10 years or something. Um, but most of my life I danced all the time. 
And so dancing was like really important to me. I would put music on and I would dance. And when I lived up north, I was like bored. So I would dance all the time. So I would like go down to the beach and dance with my Walkman. I mean, my mom has videos of me just like dancing around and like making stuff. making dances up. So I think that was just another reason why like, I connected with this. And I don't think I've ever mentioned that about me. Well, I think this is interesting because you know, she, she grew up in Hawaii mm-hmm. and then San Francisco area when both of these places are very near the ocean. And she's mostly known for not taking ocean photos. She's, I mean, you look at you know, the top 20 photos of Anne Brigman and you're not going to see an ocean shot among them. But she started there, and as we'll find out, she ended there. But speaking of the High Sierras, so Anne first ventured into the High Sierras with a camera in 1906 following the San Francisco earthquake and fire. For the next few decades, she returned again and again for months-long camping trips. Sometimes she went solo, other times she took her sisters or a friend. Her memory of the fires that engulfed much of the city fed her imagination within her photography. Little by little, this crept in as she processed the trauma throughout the rest of her life. In the Sierras, where she chose to set up her camp was instrumental in her photography. She was not quite above the tree line, but high enough for the cold and short growing season to have stunted the trees. The juniper trees were twisted and gnarled. They were thick and strong against the winter storms. So when alone, she set up her camera, disrobed, and posed herself as an extension of the trees. It truly sounds silly to describe it, but and, and it's really something that needs to be seen to be understood. Kate, you picked the next photo, Dragon and Pearl. Yeah, this picture is called The Dragon and the Pearl, and she took it in 1908, and it was shot by someone else. The book that we have doesn't really say who shot it, but it was probably a friend of hers. And this is a self-portrait. Yeah. I mean, what I think is amazing about this picture is that it's this really, so it, it, it looks like there's a dragon head coming out of the side of a mountain and she has climbed out onto what would be sort of like the neck or the back of the dragon And she's totally nude and holding this glass ball, which was a a glass orb or ball was a big thing in pictorial photography during this time because they, it's sort of a romantic, romantic thing. I I think it's amazing that it's a self-portrait and that it was taken on this, you can't really see it necessarily in the picture, but apparently, actually on the negative that that you have here, Eric, it shows how it's really sticking out over the side of a cliff. Like she's in a very dangerous situation (laughs) and she's naked and it's just this incredible vulnerability in her sense of imagination. And it is just amazing to me. Now she exhibited the photo once, just one time, and then kept the negative in print with her in her personal collection. It was one of the only photos of hers that she had on her wall. Something very special to her. And I've got the feelings that she wouldn't want us looking at it. <laughs> but So the photos that she's most popular for, nude in the trees, et cetera, it was far from the only things that she shot. But right now, it's, it's really the only work that's readily available and readily known. And in large part, this was due to Alfred Stieglitz. Though she had been writing to him for years, and though he had helped her by submitting her prints to various exhibits, she hadn't met him. Uh, Stieglitz's influence on this particular arm of the photographic community can't be overstated. He was practically a god. 
He had promised to include her work in shows in 1907, 1908, and 1909, only to take back the promises at the last moment. The next photo uh, does bring us away a little bit from the Sierras, sort of, and that's one that you picked, Dawn. In this picture, there's a nude model lying on her side with her um, one of her arms kind of lifted up in this sort of graceful way. And you can see the landscape, like layers of um, mountains or hills and the lake in the distance. The model or Anne becomes part of this landscape, like the contours of her body and of her arm lifted up in this way that's really, it's just fascinating that there are all these layers of like her body and her different limbs of her body and then all of the um, mountains and lakes and there's no separation between the model and the landscape. What I found interesting with this was also the same location that Timothy O'Sullivan took his one of his Donner Lake photos in 1867. Yeah, I adore her so much because a lot of her photos kind of show her little like pooch belly, which is, I mean, it's, it's so cute. Like she has this little <laughs> tiny like little pouch and it's so real. And I just... When you see it, when you see women like photographing themselves and they show like their bodies in the curves and the lines and it's not like Photoshop and, and, and smoothed out everywhere. It's just it's such a breath of fresh air because you're just like, oh, like this is a real it's a real portrait. This is like a real person. And is she's beautifully curved. I mean, that waistline is amazing but you can even see a little bit of her little belly and i just like oh i just adore it i'm sorry <laughs> no no i think that is absolutely a great point like, it's like attractive <laughs> yeah it's real it's human yeah. it's not it, it because it's real it it's more attractive yes now the next photo we're moving on to was actually taken at the same time as dawn and it's another one picked by Kate called The Breeze. That's interesting. I didn't know they were taken at the same time. Same same, same location. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the mountains, you can, you can match up the mountains in them. Huh. Oh, my gosh. So this one, um, she's holding a diaphanous scarf thing that is blowing in the wind. And the, the figure is in silhouette. You can see, though a lot of detail, like the individual fingers and the shape of the hair, sort of bobbed haircut. And then this scarf is just sort of in the gray tones and shows shows sort of the movement of the wind. Um, it's another way that the, the figure is connected to nature, which I think is just such a powerful theme in her work. And that's, it's really neat. Now we'll get to like a, a bit of this later, but is it actually a scarf or is that added in post? Oh, gosh, I don't know. We'd have to see yeah. sort of the stages. So this is what Stieglitz was looking for, though. He was looking for her nudes. He wanted her to submit more nudes, which probably sounds a, a little familiar to some listeners. <laughs> While he wasn't always happy with the quality of her printing, he, he actually was really harsh about the quality of her printing. Uh, his biggest request was for more twisted high Sierra photos. But in 1910, she ventured to New York to see him and his gallery 291. When she arrived in New York, Anne was at a breaking point. She had struggled with printing. The accepted medium of the time was platinum printing, at which she utterly failed. Most amateur photographers used store-bought photo paper, but that rendered her negatives in a way that she, and much more importantly, Stieglitz didn't care for. Her home life was also a wreck. 
She and Martin hardly spoke and were essentially separated. The reason she left California for New York was because Stieglitz once again promised her a show. Here, she saw herself a new life, a way to start over. But once again, it wasn't to be. Stieglitz postponed her show for a fourth time. But she also realized something more about this near-mythical gallery 291. The male photographers who frequented the gallery might not have been only interested in the art. She later complained to Stieglitz that the men ogled the nudes and spoke in explicit and, as she put it, staggering ways about sex while doing so. All of this was too much for her, and she left New York for Connecticut, and soon after for a photography printing school in Maine run by Clarence White. White's course in printing gave Anne the confidence she needed to begin making platinum prints of her own. There is a definite dividing point in her career and that is 1910. Things printed before 1910 look a, a one very certain way, and things printed after 1910 look a very different way. And this next photo is Sanctuary, and, and Vanya, you picked this one. It shows the enormous <laughs> range of the mountains compared to like how big a person is. It's it just looks so massive, and and it's it's really hard sometimes I, I've, you know, you see like pictures of the grand Canyon, you know, and they're beautiful, but you really can't experience how massive it is until you're there. You're like, immer you're like immersed in that scene and you can just be like, Oh my gosh, it's way bigger than this like picture that I saw on the internet. <laughs> I mean, apparently this was taken in Maine and I have a hard time believing that. Cause I mean, I don't know. It doesn't look like Maine at all, but maybe Maine looks very different than I'm used to linking. <laughs> but this is apparently taken in Maine and it does look a lot like her other photo, Infinitude and The Mood. And they're both of a person standing on a thing shot from far away with things in the background <laughs> to be, mm -hmm. you know, it's all that kind of the same milieu, I suppose. Um, she was very much playing on the style of F. Holland Day, who was one of her teachers at, or was one of the people doing the critiques at Clarence White's school. The other one was Casabir, Gertrude Casabir. I love this photo. I was going to pick it if, if Vanya didn't. It is confusing. It's something I would really love to take because it's very much a me photo. Mm -hmm. I just need a person to stand somewhere. So Anne spent four, I guess, months on the East Coast in Connecticut and in Maine at the school, maybe a little longer and then returned home. So after turning home, Anne completely changed her life. She and Martin fully separated, and she began a period of, of what one of the books calls recovery. And I don't know exactly how they're using the term, but I really like the idea of that she was in a recovery from, from the fire, from her, her shitty marriage, from uh, Stieglitz, and... Part of that recovery included a return to the Sierras where she went to recover from the fire originally. And she delved more deeply into her juniper trees. And this next photo, Via Della Rosa from 1911, is was picked by Vanya. Could you describe this one, Vanya? No. <laughs> <laughs> could, since we're an audio podcast, could you give it a shot? <laughs> well, again, um, her body is... It's a real body and it has shapes and shadows and curves to it and lines. And it's just absolutely gorgeous. It's raw. And she's next to kind of like 
a piece of like burl wood, I'm assuming, because the tree is something's going on with the tree. It's not normal. It just has a lot of movement and it's kind of going in all different directions. And I think uh, she kind of puts herself against it in just a beautiful artistic way. I, I just absolutely love it. Via Dolorosa translates to a painful or difficult path in this apparently depicted death through suffocation. Mm. Like in this case, the idea of it being suffocation is so specific that it becomes very limiting. Like her face, I mean, I can see where that interpretation comes from. Her face is in shadow, which is not what you do in a portrait most of the time, unless you're breaking a rule on purpose, which she probably is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it means something. She did that, you know, that wasn't an accident. And the way that, you know, she's, she doesn't, like Vanya was saying, she doesn't have a perfect body by the standards that we would have today. And I mean, this is over a hundred years ago, but still the, you know, there's, there's cellulite, there's like, not exactly a role, but she's not. I know I would kill for those roles, honestly. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'll take that. That's totally fine. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) But but the way that it fits with the the texture of the tree is just really cool. So I think that becomes what the photo really is. And it's not exactly like a portrait. I think that if you suffer from any sort of body image issue, looking at this picture will probably bring up some some feelings because it kind of reminds you how you like pick apart your own body. It's like not even my body. And I mean, obviously, it's gorgeous and beautiful. But I am still picking it apart. So it's not, maybe it's a good thing that I'm like, okay, well, see, I'm not just terrible about myself. I'm doing it to <laughs> poor Anne as well. I don't know if that's good, is it? <laughs> well, not. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing with a self-portrait, right? Like when you when you take a self-portrait, especially a nude self-portrait, oh, it is not easy when you pull those negatives out of the tank. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Do you have to like disassociate? Well... Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think in the moment, at least for me, in the moment that I'm taking that picture, I'm so focused on everything else about taking that picture that I forget to be Mm -hmm. self-conscious. But then when you see the image, you have to make your peace with it. And that's a process. And, And I think when we look at someone else and we have the same feelings... That's a, it's familiar. It's like yeah. We, yeah. we all do this to ourselves. Yeah. Moving on to the next one is actually a little bit of an introduction to another part of Anne's life. This, this photo is called the Pine Sprite, which was, I don't think it's in either of our books. Oh, this is the one I picked, right? So you picked this one. You found it on the internet. You told me the title of it. And I grabbed <laughs> a different version of it. So I grabbed what I think think is a manipulated negative of it. And you grabbed one that's a print. It's obviously a print. Mm-hmm. And the differences between the two are astounding. Yeah. <laughs> it is a naked woman, not quite lounging, but compared to the other photos, lounging in a very tall, pretty normal looking tree. So why'd you pick this one, Vanya? I don't know. Climbing trees is kind of my thing. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, never climbed a tree naked before that I know of. Um, I'll have to ask my mom about that. But it's just so fun and beautiful. She's just she's part of the tree in a way. She the way that she's like 
in the tree is insane. Um, I would probably be like the opposite way, like like a koala bear, like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know how she looks so relaxed in all these photos. Um, and I think if you've like tried to photograph yourself in things, like you would understand it's probably really, really hard <laughs> to look that relaxed. <laughs> so it's, it's impressive. Well, in the negative, um, which is a much clearer photo, she's very distinct from the tree. So while Anne had always manipulated her prints to achieve a, a look differing a bit from her negatives, uh, following a return from New York and with the mastery of platinum printing, she was set loose upon everything her camera exposed. And next comes the photo that I picked. It's called Heart of the Storm. It was an early shot from 1902, and it was printed in 1912. In the book that I have, it shows how she made the print step by step. And I'll try to describe a little bit of it here. Um, Anne became a, an expert at photo manipulation. After taking a photo, she would perform Photoshop-like feats with a few internegatives and an etching pen and a, a couple of pencils. From 1910 on, her prints were often drastically different from the original negatives. In 1912, she returned to a negative she took in 1902, which is this photo. In it, two nude women were standing within a gnarled juniper tree. One's head is buried into the other's shoulder. Over the course of the process, Anne exposed the negative onto a glass plate. This allowed her to use graphite to soften the clouds above the tree. She etched a thin dress onto one of the women. She also used transparent film to block out parts of the background that she'd fill in later and then enlarged the photo onto another glass plate. And so this was now a negative. And here's where she did her final manipulations, adding a hazy background behind the tree and softening the ground quite a bit. She enhanced the clouds and really softened everything. The final print, which we're sharing in the show notes and on our website, is beautifully dreamlike and almost no longer a photograph. And she really blurred the line between photography and whatever the hell else this is. She began using this process in 1907 with Stieglitz trying to get her to do more with it with uh, platinum printing. She was heavily criticized at the time for the amount of work she did on her prints after taking the photo. Stieglitz defended her, even stretching the truth and downplaying her manipulations, something that she was grateful for him for doing. Curiously, while he defended her, he probably didn't look too kindly upon it himself. Going back to the to the uh, heart of the storm print, the the book that was talking about this did not mention the halo, <laughs> and I don't know how they missed the halo, because that's the first thing I see. Mm-hmm. And Anne being raised in a in a Christian home, even though it wasn't Catholic, there were halos on pictures of Christ and and now pretty much just Christ in the Protestant Church. And I can't help but see that with this. And that's me bringing my own shit to these, these, this photo. But that halo wasn't there in the negative and, and added that. And she also added the dress. It reminds, it reminds me of a photo or it was a painting. It, it must've been in, in one of like the, the Sunday school books that I had as a kid of Jesus comforting somebody. I mean, it's a storm tree or heart of the storm, sorry. And that's, you know, there's, Jesus was often, you know, telling you storms and Jesus stories and calming the storms. And that's all there. And I'm bringing all of that baggage to this photo because I probably haven't fully deconstructed my weird religious upbringing. Here we go. Thanks, Anne. <laughs> I don't have a religious upbringing to bring to it. Oh. Um, 
Yeah. What do you get from it then? Anything? <laughs> nothing? Nothing there at all? <laughs> and I still see a halo. It's just interesting to me that I, I don't think I would have thought of the religious aspects of it. Yeah. Like that wouldn't, that wouldn't be there for me. And now I can't unsee it. <laughs> but that's interesting. We'll move, we'll move on to a photo called uh, Artist at Work that, that uh, Kate picked. Yeah, so this is another um, self-portrait, but it's very, it's a different style than her her other ones that show, you know, the figure in nature. This is her as an older woman, not like, I, it's hard to tell how old she is. She's kind of from the back and the side, um, and she's working on a print. I'm not sure what she's doing, maybe spotting it you know, to get rid of the dust or I'm not even sure. Um, something that looks like she's either got like a brush or a pencil in her hand. Mm-hmm. And you can see some of what's going on. She's working at a desk. There, It looks like maybe a statue of a Buddha behind where she's working. And then what's really strange about this is the, it's almost like it's taken through a window or um, double oh. exposed somehow. It has kind of like a sort of dappled dark and light on one side especially but um all around the sort of the periphery of the image it's just really interesting i mean you can't see her face the subject which is a a woman doing photo work it really reminds me of of an evelyn cameron shot of her washing prints and i i'm asking i don't was this a common thing for women photographers to do at one point to is it like a, a proof of like look i did this i swear I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I can't really get my, my, my mind into their, into their mindset really, but it, with Evelyn Cameron and maybe to an extent with Ann Brigman, there is a sense of here's what I do. Cause I mean, you, you're not just seeing Anne working, you're seeing what Anne is working on. Yeah. Like you said, she's doing something to the print. She's, she's working. She's at work as, as Evelyn Cameron was at work. Still, it is a, it is, a, a statement piece. It's very yeah. much, a, I'm doing something. I'm doing this. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the camera, self-portrait with camera, like mirror self-portrait. Yeah. Um, it's like, I'm, I'm defining myself as a photographer here, as an artist. These are my tools. This is what I'm doing. It's it's sort of a different version of that. It's hard not to do that, Mary. I mean, that's it's it's such a, take a picture of yourself in the mirror. It's It's getting a lot of shit lately. Oh, it is. And I love them. I love mirrors, love portraits. And it's, I mean, it's the shit that it's getting is almost exclusively sexism. That's, it's yeah. just, oh, look, here's another way we can be sexist assholes. A few years after returning from the East Coast, Anne turned her home, which she used to share with her estranged husband, into a studio. And with a street name change, it actually got a name of its own, 683 Brockhurst, which mm. is such a punk rock way to name something. Yeah. All the cool clubs, like the 930 Club, use their address in the name. Uh, so during the late teens and early 20s, Anne became a real integral figure in the San Francisco photography community. In many respects, she was an elder stateswoman, leading, inspiring, and taking inspiration from photographers like Edward Weston, Dorothea Lange, and Imogene Cunningham, who would eventually go on to become the elder stateswoman of San Francisco photography. <laughs> but this was also a reflection period for Anne. And there are two photos that I found in, in well, one of them is in the book that you and I both have, uh, mm-hmm. Kate, and another one, and both of them in the big one. 
Oh, one is untitled, but the other one is called Susanna at the Sunbath. And it is a parody of one of her shots. She shot a parody of her photos. And it's a figure, a miniature figure of a naked woman sitting on an agave leaf with a bunch of guys looking at her. <laughs> that this is probably really probably a reaction to the ogling that Stieglitz's crew gave to her photos. Mm-hmm. And also this is probably a, a sentiment that most women can relate to. It makes me want to do like fun studio work, I guess. I just, yeah. I really like, it, it It makes me think of my childhood. I remember as a kid, you would see the commercials like G.I. Joe or whatever, and they would always have like the most epic backgrounds and like little pools and stuff. And you're like, dude, like, yeah. that's so cool. Always like it jealous. was like part of the commercial. You're like, oh my God, that's like the best part. But then I realized if I just go in my backyard, like I could just make the, these lands all over the place. Uh, and that's what I would do. And that, and this like absolutely reminds me of something that I would be sitting in a hundred degree weather sun, <laughs> uh, burning my back, uh, playing with like my little ponies or something <laughs> in an agave bush. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> like, I love dioramas and I want to make like mm. a grown up, an adult dollhouse. You yes. Know? Like, I super want to do that. And I haven't let myself. <laughs> because <laughs> oh. what would you do with it once oh. you did? <laughs> photograph <laughs> it. Kate, yes. You have a oh whole gosh. world that you could photograph. So, this is kind of wrapping up our little thing, little long thing on, on Anne Brigman. Um, and so during the time after her recovery and when she became kind of a figure in the San Francisco photo scene, she organized shows and exhibited a lot of her own work. Uh, Stieglitz, on the other hand, closed his gallery in 1917. And from what I can tell, Anne never got her promised show hmm. in Stieglitz's gallery. Um, though they did maintain a weirdly close friendship and correspondence for decades. And I never understand, I don't understand that. I don't understand what they saw in each other. They seemed to be horrible to each other a lot of the time, but <laughs> developed a really close friendship, almost like, an, 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 like a brotherly, sisterly sort of way. Stieglitz met Georgia O'Keeffe, the Western painter, uh, whom he'd soon marry in a fairly controversial way. And uh, he took some inspiration from Anne's nudes and how he posed Georgia, which I think is kind of fitting. Uh, when O'Keefe saw Anne's photos, she said that she was absurdly excited over them. And I love the phrase, absurdly excited. <laughs> I was too. I get you, Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> Towards the end of her career in 1929, she moved out of 683 Brockhurst, leaving it to her assistant, Willard Van Dyke. And it was here where Willard gathered photographers such as Ansel Adams, Sonia Noskowiak, Imogen Cunningham, and Edward Weston to form Group F64, essentially the photographic opposite of Anne's work. Rather than soft and ethereal, everything was sharp and in focus. Meanwhile, Anne joined her aging mother and sister in Long Beach. Her eyesight was failing, but she fell in love with the ocean, especially how the water interacted with the sand, causing tiny deltas and erosions. Though Anne wrote well enough 
she decided to take a creative writing course in 1935 at the age of 66. At the encouragement of her instructor, she wrote Songs of a Pagan, a book of poetry. It was illustrated throughout with her photography, including much of her later work. Due to World War II, it wasn't printed until 1949, and it used her photos, Soul of the Blasted Pine, as the cover. She died a year later. Her work was never really forgotten, but it was more or less relegated to the footnotes and collections of the pictorialist photographers. Until somewhat recently, there are two books that we've been mentioning throughout, Anne Brigman, A Visionary in Modern Photography, published by Rizzoli, and Anne Brigman, The Photographer in Enchantment by Kathleen Pine. They're both kind of kind of pricey, but both kind of essential. Um, both very frustrating in their own ways. We could go on a long discussion about the state of photography books right now and why, and why they're so confusing to read and look at, <laughs> but we won't. But they really are. Yeah. <laughs> Like, where are the words? <laughs> They're all shoved in the back. I just want an index. Just give me a fucking index. Oh my gosh. I love me a good index. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So Anne Brigman, any closing statements on, on Anne Brigman? Well, I think there are a couple of things. Um, one is sort of the overlap between poetry and photography and that, you know, when you create a photograph, you're sort of distilling everything into this sort of succinct statement. And that's a lot of the time, I mean, that's a technical writing way to describe poetry. <laughs> but, yeah. but at the same time, it's, you know, every word counts and imagery is important. And, it, and to have, it, it's not surprising to me that there would be an overlap and that those would both be passions for her. And then the other thing I wanted to say is that I just think we're just inundated with images and there, it's not uncommon now to see the nude in nature and have that be, you know, it's just a familiar image at this point. And there are always new ways to do that. And it is a truly inspiring genre. And I, I love it. But yeah. she was shooting these over a hundred years ago and photography had only been around, you know, for a few decades at this point. And she, she was sort of pioneering in that. And I think, you know, there are other people doing it at the same time and, and that's important to note too, but I think that it's just really cool, beautiful work. Yes, it is. Well, that really covers it. Like, thank you, Kate, so much for hopping on here and, and helping us uh, talk about Ann Brigman, someone who I've, who I think you introduced me to her. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Well, thank you for having me on. It's so fun to chat with you guys. All right, everybody. It's that time again, that wonderful time where we get to review some zines. So sit back, relax, because we got a beautiful zine review coming your way from Eric. Okay. So a lot of the zines we review are submitted to us, and that's really, really wonderful. But this time around, I went looking, and I found one called Where We Were, Volume 2, by Shania Logan. Her first issue was black and white and featured photographs of mostly rural ruins, 
But this time around, she looked to more urban areas, and urban being um, relative, a relative term here. Uh, each photo is of an abandoned place. There are gas stations, storefronts, abandoned apartments, old factories, lots of like small town kind of things. Uh, with this issue, Shania leads us into town by way of a closed up corner store and school buses decaying in the sun. Mobile homes quickly disintegrate once unoccupied and tar paper shacks are a little more than just a foundation at this point. Long cold factories with darkened smash windows explain the depressing number of houses vacated and lines and lines of empty streets. While abandoned buildings in rural settings can sometimes stand for decades, the same is not usually true in large cities where real estate's at a premium. Hell, a building doesn't even have to be run down, let alone abandoned to be torn down and replaced by condos or just turned into a parking lot. In cities, all the stores and houses, factories and schools would be replaced before the windows could be smashed or boarded up. But in small towns, like the ones featured in where we were, there's no reason to build here again. There's really no reason to tear it down. And so they stand as testaments to a dying community, much like the places where I grew up. In fact, many of these photos could easily have been taken in central Pennsylvania. My heart is in these places. I, I kind of feel at home here. And that's, the, that's my takeaway with the zine. It was very, it felt very at home with me. Um, I believe it was shot in Ohio. The zine is called Where We Were. It's full color and shot with a few different emulsions. You can, and you really should pick it up. In her Etsy shop, it's called In the Fall State of Mind, AKA uh, it's also called Stuff by Shania. Etsy, let's see, I have two names, it's sort of weird. It's only $10 and she's got a lot of other kind of cool stuff there, like, like monster buttons and things like that. Really fun things. It's 10 bucks, make sure you pick it up and we'll give you a link in the show notes. Vanya? Yes, I just got something in the mail today, so I don't exactly have a proper review, but we are going out for uh, the end of the season, and I just felt like it was really important for me to mention this. So Federico from Italy sent me a wonderful zine. It's, you know, the difference, I'm just going to say right now, the difference between the two, like he did one during the pandemic. It was wonderful. It had music um, right. attached to each picture. Yeah. It was it was one of my favorites. But there was a little bit of um, melancholy in it. And there's something different here. This this looks a little a little brighter, a little happier. He was going through some um, stuff at the time, too. He was, he was yeah. definitely. And, um, I appreciate him being honest about that. Cause you know, we all go through some crazy shit sometimes. Right. Mm -hmm. So one of the coolest things about the scene is it has, <laughs> has coordinates, has a lot longitude and latitude on every single picture Damn. where he took it. It's fucking brilliant. Like what, <laughs> why did I not think of this? It's quite lovely. There's a ton of color scattered with, I would say, a dash of black and white in the most perfect places. He's got some great black and white shadow detail, but his color really just, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't explain it. The pages have like a matte feel to it. It's perfect for film, honestly. Yeah. Um Especially if you, you're shooting stuff with some grain, I think this was a very, very good choice. One of the things that I absolutely love about Italy is not only is that my family's from there, but 
it is so wrapped in so much history. You can walk down these streets that are so old, grab water from fountains that have been running for centuries. There are some places in here that I might need. Well, I have the coordinates, so I guess (laughs) I can, uh, (laughs) I know exactly where they are. (laughs) Uh, But just, yeah, beautiful blues and greens of the water and uh, it's just gorgeous. So, um, Thank you so much for sending me this. I'm, I'm actually going to just go ahead and put it in my van so I can peruse through it on my travels. Uh, if you're interested in getting this wonderful zine, I would uh, message him on Instagram. His Instagram is Fediquagolino. It's at F-E-D-E-Q-U-A-G-L. L-I-N-O. And what's the zine called? Happy Together. All Through a Lens is brought to you by our lovely Patreon subscribers. Patreon helps us pay for hosting books, our newspaper.com account for research, audio equipment, and much, much more. We would like to thank our subscribers for their support. We couldn't do it without you. So give yourself a little pat on the back. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, we do really appreciate it. So if you like bonus episodes, full-length interviews, and extra nonsense, you can become a Patreon subscriber. We've got three different levels of support, with the cheapest being less than a buck an episode. And over the summer, we will be having some content specific to Patreon subscribers. Yeah, like a little sneak peek. (laughs) Well, I, I, I suppose... We will be doing things. We will be giving updates from the road to everybody via the podcast, but on a more daily basis, we'll be doing things for the patron subscribers while we're traveling. Just something, uh, a way to say thank you. So head over to patreon.com slash all through a lens for more information. Well, Vanya, it looks like we're winding down this uh, rather unwieldy episode and in a rather unwieldy season yeah um what do you got going on next week and and really for the rest of the summer for the the rest of my life hopefully not i have no i okay i'm camping um so i have to pack tomorrow's my day of packing Uh, I mean, I, I haven't even unpacked for this trip. So honestly, I, I think I'm just going to wash the clothes that I wore and, and just leave everything else in the car. Makes sense. Um, it's a family camp trip to uh, Sequoia. It's kind of like a traditional place that I went as a kid and we are kind of doing that for um, the next generation. So they have those same memories. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing. <laughs> Maybe some pictures. I'm hoping to come um, meet up with you at some point. I'm just kind of. It's much for. It's much further. It's like two states further from, for me. So I'm trying to work that out. Um, Maybe Scorpion Bay. Um, It would be nice. I just I have too many ideas and plans and not enough money. So, um, (laughs) some things are going to have to be, uh, crossed off this year. Unfortunately, I'm thankful that I can 
do some traveling and I will take advantage of it um, as much as possible. And, you know, so fingers crossed, I hope I can come bother you because I feel like summer is not, it won't be the same without giving you a hard fucking time. So I'm going to do my best yeah. to uh, come uh, rattle you up a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, you give me a hard fucking time when we're apart. I think it's probably a little more special when we're together. Uh, absolutely. I, I would say so. What about you? What, what's your, what do you got going on well, for the summer? Well, my biggest job for the podcast right now is getting everything lined up for summer, like getting a schedule and what's happening when. It's a lot of pre-posting, a lot of scheduling of, of things. Yeah, thank God I don't have to do that. <laughs> things would be fucked up. So I'm trying to figure out like which episodes are going where and what we're doing when and once that's all put to bed, I'm heading out on the road. I'll mostly be following in Taylor's footsteps in North Dakota. Well, maybe not mostly, but that'll be a big focus of it. Uh, but before that, in Montana, hopefully, I will be meeting up with you. And then I'll be doing a few states on the way back. Who knows? It's wonderful. So before we let them go, we have one more thing. On our last main episode, we mentioned the idea of someone traveling around taking photos of post offices. Well, as it turns out, someone already is doing this. Uh, you can follow them at Postal Appreciation Society on Instagram. And it's not just one person. You can, too, be featured if you take a film photo of a post office and hashtag it Postal Appreciation Society. Will you be doing this this summer at all? Oh, fuck yeah. yeah. I, there's something special about a post office. Oh, like, my God, There's some yeah. really boring ass ones out there from like the 90s when they started building them outside of towns. But the <sighs> ones that are still in towns, it's just it's. It's that town, you know, it's such a local, a local thing. I think the cool thing about it is they don't, it's not like how they fucked up Denny's, you know, and they like made them all space aged and shit. Like, remember that? Like 15, 20 I years ago when they remodeled no, them? No, I don't remember that at all. Oh God, it was Were bad. Were they trying to go for like, like, the, bad like time. the 50s diner look? Kind okay. of, yeah. Yeah, it was awful. Weird. Yeah, they just would build the post office and you knew when they built it because it looked like that era and that was it. <laughs> and I'm into it because most of them were like kind of got the mid-century like feel to them. It's it's just perfect post office action. And for a tiny town, it's a tiny post office. It's the best. They're so cute. And they always have the very distinct like adhesive smell. Mm -hmm. That's just wonderful. Yes. Sometimes uh, they got those like ice cube blocks uh, for some natural light flow. Always got the, the flagpole outside mm -hmm. and the same font for that post office. It's a beautiful mid-century font. Yes. Oh, very gorgeous. I love it. So thank you all for hanging with us this entire season we're not really done the main episodes are done the next dev party we'll be talking about revisiting locations that we shot 10 years ago and as you probably know if you listened to the beginning of the show like i said we'll be taking a break until late august but we won't have the main episodes we'll still have dev parties we'll also share a bonus episode that we recorded for the patreon subscribers a year or so ago and if all goes according to plan We'll have an update or two from the road. 
So keep your eyes on our feed and on our social medias, I suppose. We're taking a vacation, but it's kind of a working vacation. But maybe we'll even see you on the road. Uh, Vanya, anything else to say? Thank you for listening to All Through a Lens. If you'd like to contact us, we're at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail.com. And we're at allthroughalens on Twitter. You can also check out our show notes on allthroughalens.com. Vanya is at SurfMotion. And Eric is at conspiracy.of.cartographer. That's right. Both on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag yourself, hashtag all through a lens podcast to be featured. You can find our episodes on Spotify as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever you found this. Just uh, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. The music you're hearing now is from Last Regiment of Syncopated Drummers, which you can find at lastregiment.com. And thank you all again so, so much for listening to us. We can't begin to tell you how much we appreciate you. We love you. See ya. Well, we'll see you at Devon. But really, see you in the fall. Uh, Vanya? Yes? Do you want to go out and shoot? Yes, I do. Let's fucking go. Oh, wait. Fuck yeah, I do. (laughs) All right, let's go. (laughs) So I have like a very close connection with Gumby, I guess. You know, it's like my first relationship. (laughs) Gumby was my first boyfriend.